Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And uh, without further ado, we are going to bring on Gil Hodges Jr. We are talking his father's legacy as uh, another Hall of Fame candidate this year comes up. Gil, thank you so much for joining me today. Sam, how are you? Pleasure. Always good to hear from you. Always great to hear from you, too. And uh, let's just get right to it. You know, it's been a few times that he has been up for the Hall of Fame. I I think a lot of the logic behind the reason why he has not gotten elected yet is unsound. Um, and, you know, since it's been, it's been a little bit since the last time, if you just want to get right into it, uh, why do you feel, uh, outside of obviously him being your father, why do you feel that Gil Hodges, the player, and uh, his managerial legacy, if you will, deserves Hall of Fame uh, commencement? Well, speaking honestly and objectively, and not so much as a son, I think statistically, his figures prove that he should be in the Hall of Fame. And what the Hall of Fame now has done is they've broken down time frames into 25-year slots. So Dad is in what they call the golden era, which is from 1950 to 1975. I think it's important for the committee members to realize that they have to take that time frame and put the people in there compare all their stats. If they do that, I think they'll recognize how great a player my dad was. You know, you can't compare the players from the 50s and the 60s to the players of today. It's apples and oranges. I think statistically what he did in that time frame um, bears a good, good consideration for the Hall of Fame. You know, people forget they didn't start the gold glove awards until 1957 that was the first year and when they gave the gold glove award if they gave it for a third baseman it was for all of baseball it wasn't for the national league or the american league it was for all of baseball and in 1957 the first year dad won the gold glove for first base he also won it in 1958 the gold glove for first base for all of baseball. And he also won it in 1959, the gold glove for all of baseball. If they would have started this, this award in 1950, he would have had 10 in a row. But people have to realize, you know, he had 70 consecutive years of 100 RBIs or more. Just think about that in today's, today's statistics. What would a player be worth if he had not been over 100 runs seven years in a row? I mean, these right. are the things that I hope the committee, committee members, you know, take a look at. Look at when he retired, he was in the top 10 in home runs, 370 home runs. It doesn't sound like a lot now because you have multiple players in 500. It's a different time. That's why I hope they just compare that 25-year period from 1950 to 1975. 
Yeah, and some of the the reasons why, uh, you know, I, I know that Ted Williams discounted Roy Campanella's vote once upon a time uh, for a Veterans Committee vote. Uh, but another thing that I'd always heard, and, and why I'm glad that they've started evolving with their their uh, parameters for voting, was, you know, well, we can't elect all of the Dodgers, all of the, the those Brooklyn Dodgers into the Hall of Fame. Right. If they all exactly. deserve to go and on the Hall of Fame, why not? Right. And look how long Phil Rizzuto waited for the same reason. They didn't want it to be all Yankees. So those right. scenarios are not applicable. They don't. They, it doesn't matter who you played for. It matters how you played. And one of the criterias for the Hall of Fame nomination is also the character, the moral character of the individual, what he meant to the team, his leadership qualities what he brought to the ballpark every day. You must encompass all of the requirements for the Hall of Fame. If you do that, I think Dad has a good chance next year. Now, I I thought it was you were very objective regarding his managerial career in, in the interview after your ceremonial first pitch opening day with the Mets. And I, I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on that I, I feel as if even if his whole managerial career uh, doesn't, necess- doesn't necessarily equate the, one, the, the, the 1969 as well as what his players had to say about him, I feel puts him over the edge on top of his player uh, career. Well, you know, it's, I would never disagree with that, Sam. It's better that the ball players say that. If, if you know, if, if his son – starts to bring up things the way I feel, starts to bring up things like that. It's, it's you know, a father-son relationship. When the ball players who worked for him, who he managed, who he instilled the leadership qualities to, when they're the ones who speak about it, I, I would rather them speak about it than they do. I don't ask them to. They do it on their own accord. And I think that's a major plus. Do I think it should be included? Of course. I mean, what happened in 1969 is just, I mean, it's crazy. But it it happened. He made it happen. He made them believe they could do it. And they're the ones who 50 years later are still speaking about it. What does that tell you? It's more important for me that they bring it up than his son bring it up. I want to bring up his statistics. Because that's an impartial, right. impartial thought. Because those are numbers, right? And like you said, I mean, I think the fact that he was in top ten home runs uh, at the time, and so where where did that put him for first baseman at the time in terms of home runs? Well, you had Lou Gehrig, and you know you had other people, but he was right up there. I mean, statistically, he was up there. He had. I don't know, 11 seasons maybe of 20 or more home runs. You know, these these numbers in that time frame compared to the people who played in that era, he supersedes 99% of all of them. So I hope the committee realizes that and just takes that into account when they do their voting. And as far as I think Ted another, Williams... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I don't want to... I'm not going to, I don't want to say anything about any individual that transpired in the past 
especially when they can't defend themselves. So that, right. that, as far as I'm concerned, we just let that lay to rest. It is what it is. Whatever it was, it was. It's over. It's done. We Moving forward, I just want to get the committee to concentrate on that 25-year period. And then whatever they decide, they decide. And it's not in my hands. It's in their hands. I want them just to focus on that. I want them to understand what the uh, the concept of, the, you know, breaking down the time frame over the span of baseball's entire career, what, you know, what that means. And I think another uh, sticking point to the whole thing was the fact that he was uh, very efficient with his at-bats. He never struck out over 100 times. Uh, you know, the highest was 1951 at 99. And he, he batted .273 over the course of his entire career. Uh, and, and you just, you, you look at it, um, you know, 1949 to 1955, he had uh, no less than 102 RBIs. And I, I, I mean, that speaks volumes. And the majority of the time, he's above 115 or above right. 110 at least in 1950 with uh, 113. Right. So it's, it's, it's just some remarkable numbers here. Uh, and, and, you know, hidden, hidden over 300 a few times as well. Uh, all-star, all-star, all-star from, from 1940 through 1955. He was, he was recognized as the best in the game every single year. Yeah. And, I mean, and, you know, the gold glove achievement to me is astronomical. Once they incorporate and initiate the award, he wins the first three for all of baseball. I mean, that, that right. itself speaks volumes. Do you think that the Hall of Fame is starting to understand they've been uh, kind of neglecting defensive numbers? And maybe not numbers, considering that there's no real way of measuring it in that sense. But do you yeah. think that they're finally well, starting to understand? Like, yeah, go ahead. I think they're starting to incorporate it more into their thoughts and not just so much, you know, how many times did the ball travel out of the park? I think that they're starting to encompass the entire ball player, which is what it should be. And not just how many home runs did they have? And, so, and to tangent along the, those lines too. Yes. yes. No, go ahead, Gil. Go ahead, Gil. Well, you know, Sam, these are the things that, that I'm trying to impress. I'm trying to get out there. Um, his managerial career, as you said, I mean, he's, he always improved every year with the Washington Senators, with the Mets, and then the, the, the total achievement of, you know, winning the World Series. Um, and just the impact that he had on players' lives. I mean, I don't have to tell you. You could talk to Tom Seaver. I mean, Tom Seaver will tell yeah. you the effect that he had not only as a ball player but as a human being. You know, and, and those are the things that mean things. You know, in Brooklyn, there's a bridge named after Dad. There's a school named after Dad. There's streets named after Dad. Ballparks, little leagues. I mean, this is a man from Indiana who who the – the city right. just loved, just took and embraced him. And it's just amazing. Really is. And I think it's a tribute it, not it only really, to him, but to his legacy. It really is. I mean, you know, I, I 
was inadvertently I got an apartment right down the road from his last resting place uh, in Holy Cross Cemetery. Oh, okay. And uh, you, yeah, and no, it's it's remarkable. Yeah, it it Flatbush is is a fantastic area, and you know, be, besides the entire uh, cemetery being quite the the historical uh, spot, you know, right across from your your father's grave is also a Brooklyn Fire Department statue monument uh, that speaks right. to the the time that it was it, it was a city. Uh, but when right. when I went there. You just saw, and I think what was interesting for me were all the stones on his uh, uh, yes. his uh, headstone. Just, you know, because and I, thought, I think incredible. that speaks to the the how many it speaks to how many Jewish folks are are in Brooklyn, considering it's a, I believe it's a Catholic uh, cemetery. Uh, I might be wrong exactly. on that. Don't yes, quote me, is. but no, you're you're you correct. Know, it, but it, it's, it's you know what? It's just for the man. It's not for a religious purpose. It's just for the human being right. that he was, because, because he treated everyone the same. I, I mean, we have countless, countless plaques and trophies from B'nai Brits of Brooklyn, um, from different temples, from mm. Long Island temples. I mean, countless. These people embraced him, not because he was Christian, but because of the man who he was, because the way he felt right. treating everyone equal. And that's universal, you know, in every religion. Exactly. So Exactly. Yeah. So. You're absolutely right. Uh, before you go, I just wanted to uh, uh, talk a little bit about opening day and, and what that was like for you and your family, uh, throwing out the <laughs> ceremonial first pitch. I know it's been a few well, months was, removed since it, it happened, but. It was like yesterday for me. My arm is still sore a little bit, but it was, it was absolutely great. It was such a such a great honor. Um, you know, I couldn't thank the Wilpon family uh, and the entire Mets organization for bestowing that. And, and not on me, but on the Hodges family. Um, getting my 92-year-old mom out to the ballpark um, and have her stand up and wave to the crowd. To me, um, just like the commercial, just priceless. Those, you know, those are the things that you never forget. Um, I, I wasn't thrilled that Ed Cranepool said, please don't throw the ball low because I'll fall over and put more pressure on me. But thank <laughs> God it was a strike. <laughs> exactly. But it, was, it was great yeah, seeing the boys did. and it was just a great day. Well, as you saw the other day, it's very important to focus on throwing a strike. Because even if you don't throw a strike, oh, you don't want to hit the, the, uh, the cameraman on the side. Oh, <laughs> I'm not boy. sure if you saw that. that. Yeah. I, I, how could you miss that? It was everywhere. <laughs> but, uh, I know, yeah, exactly. It was, it was viral. Yep, absolutely. Well, Gail, Sam, I appreciate Sam, you joining you us much. today. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. I hope to see you soon, buddy. Stay well. Absolutely. You as well, Gil. And thank you all for listening in. Take care. Have a great one. We'll catch you next time.